Thanks for checking out this week's podcast from Center Street Church. We pray it blesses, encourages, and inspires you. Well, we welcome you, all of you that are joining us online, and also those of you who are meeting together here at the central campus on this rainy day, and also those of you who are meeting at our other campuses in Airdrie, Bridgeland, Northwest Calgary, and South Calgary. Uh, a few weeks ago, most of the Western world uh, joined in on the royal wedding celebration of Prince Harry and uh, Meghan Markle. And reports indicate that billions watched it either live or on television. Now, weddings, if you think about it, happen all the time. Uh, but have you ever wondered why uh, so many people are drawn to these royal weddings? Uh, I asked some people about that, and a common theme that I heard uh, was royal weddings uh, represent the dreams and fantasies of most people, the hope of being in a lifelong uh, relationship, the hope of being treated like royalty by one's spouse, the hope of experiencing the fairy tale good life of a prince and princess. We all dream of living uh, the good life, and I suppose there's really nothing wrong with that. Uh, the problem is, life rarely turns out the way that we hoped or dreamed. Regardless of your status in society, life can start out with the greatest of hopes and dreams and be cut down by illness, an accident, divorce, even death. The close family that we cherish so deeply can slowly begin to unravel like a cheap sweater. We can fall madly in love with someone and then one day get blindsided with the announcement, it's over. We can launch a career or a business with great promise, but instead of rising to the pinnacle that we dreamed about, we crash and burn in the pit. Life can bring you to that point. And I'm sure some of you have been at that point or perhaps are at that point right now. Life has handed you a set of circumstances that has left you at times wondering whether there is a God, much less a God who is interested in you, your situation, and cares about you. King David experienced this more than once in his life. Earlier in his life, when he was still a shepherd boy, we read in 1 Samuel 23 that a jealous King Saul hunted down David day after day, forcing him to flee and to live in the hill country or wilderness of En Gedi to avoid being killed. Later in life, we read in 2 Samuel 15 that David not only had to deal with the heartbreak of having one of his own sons, Absalom, rebel against his leadership as king, but after being toppled from his throne, he was forced to flee once again into the Judean wilderness where he was hunted for a number of months by those loyal to his son. David had enemies. He experienced fear. He experienced failure and deep regret. And yet through all the fear, the shame, the hurt, the heartbreak, David not only grew in humility and wisdom, but his trust 
in God grew as well. The God in whom he found help, hope, and healing. And somewhere along the way, David wrote what we refer to today as Psalm 23, in which he articulated what his shepherd, the Lord, had come to mean to him. And David says to those of us who are experiencing upheaval and turmoil in our lives, let me tell you about my Lord in whom I trust. Let me tell you about the shepherd who is my rock, my fortress, my shelter in times of storm. And so that's what we're going to do in this little mini-series on Psalm 23 that I'm starting today. We're going to learn how David's trust grew in the Lord. Would you please stand and join me in reading this psalm together? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, again, thank you for your word. We thank you for David, for his transparency and honesty and the words that you inspired him to write here. Lord, help us to understand it fully and to apply it to our lives. Give us a humility to receive from you today and give us the courage to respond in whatever way you'd have us to. For we pray it in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Jill Briscoe tells how a personal friend of hers had terrible things done to her when she was just a little girl. Later in life, those memories began to surface and traumatized her so much that she had to be hospitalized. On the day that she was released from the hospital, Jill called her and asked how she could pray for her and in light of all of this, how things were with her and God. And she replied, at this moment, Jill, my picture of God is this. He's standing there with his hands in his pockets. In times of hardship and trouble, most of us find ourselves having an issue with God, struggling with who God really is and why at times he seems to stand there with his hands in his pockets. And so, if we're going to come to the place where we can join David in genuinely saying, the Lord is my shepherd, the first thing we need to know is, who is this Lord that David calls his shepherd? Prior to becoming the king of Israel, David was a shepherd, and so he knew all about sheep. And he also knew what it meant to be a good shepherd. Philip Keller, in his classic book 
on Psalm 23. He says that sheep tend to be real edgy, jumpy. They have trouble being calm and particularly lying down and resting unless they have learned to trust their shepherd and also have the assurance that their shepherd is with them. And so when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's saying, I have learned that my Lord is trustworthy. It's evident that this is no exaggeration. David really believes this about his shepherd because he has actually experienced God in these ways. He has heard his voice. He has felt the Lord's love and care in his life, and he has carried out the Lord's assignments. So what kind of Lord is this shepherd that David came to trust? Well, the scriptures spell that out for us. To begin with, David trusted in the Lord who loves us unconditionally. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told a parable about a man who owned a hundred sheep. And while he was tending his sheep, one of those woolly critters wandered away. The shepherd cared so deeply about this one sheep that he left the rest of the flock and he went out and he searched diligently for the one that was lost. No differently than a parent will leave their children in the care of someone they trust and frantically search for the child who has gone missing. And when the shepherd found the lost sheep, he was overjoyed. He tenderly picked it up and he put it around his shoulders and he carried it back to the flock. And then he called all of his shepherd friends and he threw a party saying, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. You know, church, Jesus used that parable to illustrate how deeply God loves us. Psalm 145 verse 17 says, The Lord is loving toward all he has made. In John 10 verse 11, and Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says here, I'm the good shepherd that David was referring to. And I want you to know that everyone matters to me. Even those who have wandered away or those who have blatantly rebelled against me. They matter to me. Jesus says his love is so great. He's prepared to lay down his life for his sheep, which of course he did at the cross of Calvary. Friends, you have never locked eyes with a person who isn't loved by our Lord. And he never stops loving us. His love is for keeps. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Psalm 89 2 says, God's love will last for all time. Some of you have lost a lot of joy in your life because you're convinced that you've blown it so hard and so bad that God's just sick in his stomach every time he thinks about you. Well, the truth is God will never love you any more than he does right now. 
or any less than he does right now. Because his love and his grace is not conditioned by your response. Oh, make no mistake, it grieves him when we run from him. It grieves him when we make decisions that hurt us and our relationships. But out of love for us, he continues to pursue us. And when we have a change of heart, when we have a change of mind, when we come to our senses the way the prodigal son did, and we stop running from God, and instead turn around and in faith begin to reach out to him, Jesus indicates that to him, it feels like he just reclaimed his most precious possession. In Luke 15, verse 7, Jesus says, I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It's the kind of love the Lord our good shepherd has for each of us. Secondly, David trusted in the Lord who is all-powerful. Our God has the ability, the power to do anything. Psalm 115 verse 3, it says, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. He's in control. He's sovereign. In other words, his power knows no parameters. God never gets tired. His power and strength is unending. Isaiah 40, 28 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. When God exercises his power, he does so effortlessly. It is no more difficult for him to create the universe than to create a butterfly. He has unlimited power. He is Al Shaddai, God Almighty. His power is displayed in many different ways, including through miracles. Change lives, heal bodies, restored relationships that we read not only in Scripture, but also that we experience and hear about today. His power is displayed through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And of course, his power is evident in his creation. In Psalm 8, we read this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above heavens. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? Consider for a moment the universe that David was speaking about. We live in one of nine planets that revolve around the sun with a diameter of approximately 860,000 miles. Our sun could hold one million planets the size of our earth and yet our sun is a relatively minor star. Our sun is only one among 100 billion stars in our galaxy alone. Our galaxy, of course, is called the Milky Way. A star called the Pistol Star gives off 10 million times the power generated by our sun 
and one million stars the size of our sun could easily fit within its sphere. Now our planet is moving along within our galaxy at about 136 miles per second or 490,000 miles per hour, just a little faster than traffic on Deerfoot. <laughs> moving along at 490,000 miles per hour, it takes, just, just take this in, at that speed it takes 200 million years for our planet to make one rotation around our galaxy. Now our galaxy is a fairly expansive place. It is kind of oblong and so if you want to go across it the long way and you move at the speed of light or 186,000 miles per second, you can cross the wide expanse of our galaxy in a mere 100,000 light years. If the Milky Way were compared to the size of the North American continent, our entire solar system would be about the size of a coffee cup in comparison. But here's the amazing part. Scientists estimate that there are billions of galaxies like ours in the universe, many of them much larger than our own. Isaiah wrote, Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? And David says, My shepherd, the Lord, did. You know, when I first contemplated these facts about the vastness of God's creation, I felt like a little speck of dust in this vast universe. I very much felt like the psalmist when he said, when I consider the universe you set into place, what is man, Lord, that you are mindful of him? Do you pay any attention to him at all? And yet while I was awestruck by the sheer magnitude of the power of God, I was overwhelmed by the realization that this all-powerful God knows me and knows you loves me and loves you, wants to be in relationship with me and you, wants to share his power, his strength with me and you. In Isaiah 40, we read this, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary, and he increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings of eagles, they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Have you ever felt like the psalmist when he said in Psalm 6, verse 2, I'm worn out, O Lord. Give me strength. I'm completely exhausted. 
Some of you are saying, Pastor, that's my life verse. You're saying, I'm so tired. Others of you are discouraged about your career. Or maybe you're discouraged about your marriage or family. Or perhaps it's your character flaws, your bad habits, your addictions that you're discouraged about. You're weary, you're frustrated. You've done everything you can, it seems, in your own strength, and you're feeling powerless to do anything about these things. Well, given that reality, I mean, isn't it music to your ears to think that if we humble ourselves and admit our need to God and come to Him and ask our Good Shepherd for help, He will strengthen and empower us to do what we could never do in our own strength. In 2 Corinthians 12, 7, the Lord says to the Apostle Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness. In other words, it's released in and through our lives when we realize that our need for God is total. And we ask Him for His grace and His power in our lives on a moment-by-moment basis. Our Lord is the Good Shepherd. He loves us. He's all-powerful. Thirdly, David trusted in the Lord, who is all-knowing. Stories told of an older gentleman who kind of summoned up the courage one day to ask a woman his age to marry him. He was thrilled when she answered yes. The next morning, however, he called her up and he said, Alice, I, I remember asking you to marry me, but for the life of me, I can't remember what you said. And she replied, you know, well, I'm so glad you called. I remember saying yes, but for the life of me, I couldn't remember who asked. <laughs> you know, regardless of our age, we are capable of forgetting things. We're capable of making mistakes, but not so our God. 1 John 3.20 tells us that God knows everything there is to know. Everything we know and we understand originated with Him. No one has to teach God anything. No question can confound Him. He's never surprised or shocked. He never says, oh my goodness, I, I didn't know that. He knows everything that He created the scriptures tell us that he identified every part of his creation and he said it was good. Psalm 147 verse 4 says, God calls the stars by name. And yet at the same time, Matthew 10 verse 29 tells us, he knows when a sparrow falls to the ground. Most incredibly, God knows everything there is to know about you and me. In Luke chapter 12, verse 7, we're told that God knows the number of hairs on our head, which is a little easier to calculate in some cases over others. <laughs> There's nothing that escapes his attention. There's neither a thought in your mind nor a motive in your heart that God does not know. He knows exactly what you're thinking about right now. I'm sure glad I don't know that. When our boys were in grade school, 
I did my best to attend their sporting events. And after the game, as we were driving home, it wasn't unusual for one of them to say something like, you know, Dad, did you see me make that pass? Or, Dad, did you see me make that goal? They ask me those questions because they know that I'm fallible. They know that I'm capable of being distracted by others, having a conversation on the side while the game's going on, and therefore missed when they played brilliantly. Well, not so with our Lord. God's eyes are always trained on us, and He never blinks. Psalm 139, verse 3 says, You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. He knows what I'm thinking. He knows what I'm feeling. He knows what I need. Sometimes even before I need it. I know I need it. You may think no one knows what you're going through. You may feel like no one understands, and that may be the case. But God does. Psalm 31 verse 7 says, You, God, have listened to all my troubles and have seen the crisis of my soul. He knows about the disappointments, the depth of your loss, the way others have hurt you or betrayed you. And he cares about these things. Psalm 103 verse 13 says, As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. He not only knows what you're feeling, but he also knows what you should do. Psalm 142 verse 3 says, When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. He knows the way that you should go, and if you ask him, if you pursue him and listen, he will direct your steps. Well, back in Psalm 139, as David's reflecting on all of this, he's just simply overwhelmed, and I just can picture him stop writing. Tears welling up in his eyes as he says in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. In other words, it's just too much for me to take it in all at once. To think that our Creator God, our Good Shepherd, takes such an interest in us that He knows us in every way. It's just overwhelming to believe and to take in. And folks, if you leave here with nothing else ringing in your ears, I hope it is this. And that is you matter to God. You really do. God didn't just wind us up and leave us as deists would have us believe. No, he is the divine shepherd who knows us intimately. And he longs for us to know him intimately as well. Fourthly, David trusted in the Lord who is everywhere present. In David's day, a shepherd didn't leave the sheep at 5 p.m., go home and have a good night's sleep, have breakfast the next morning, and then return at 9 o'clock to continue caring for the flock. No, a shepherd in that day was with the sheep all the time. And therefore, he knew his sheep quite well. 
He knew them individually. He cared for them when they were sick. He risked his life for them from wild animals. He constantly led them to new pastures and water supplies. Similarly, the shepherd that David trusted in is everywhere present. Psalm 139 says this, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. There's no place in the universe where God is not. I like the story of seven-year-old Billy who hadn't uh, really learned this yet. He and his classmates were lined up in the cafeteria of a private Christian school for lunch. Before them was this long table. And at one end of the table was a large bowl of apples. And beside the apples was a sign that read, Take only one. Remember, God is watching. At the other end of the table, when they got there, was a large bowl of chocolate chip cookies. Billy turned to a couple of his friends and he whispered, Take all the cookies you want. God's watching the apples. <laughs> well, the truth is, God is spirit, and therefore can be in all places at the same time. God is always present. But sometimes we come to him in prideful defiance with our jaws locked and our fists clenched. And then at other times, we come to him with humble and soft hearts, with our ears and our hands open to him. And that's why two people, for example, can experience the same worship service even as you are right now. They can sit side by side. And one will leave having felt God's presence and moved and challenged by God's word. And another will leave empty and unmoved and sometimes more upset than when they came. Sometimes people will say, wow, you know, God really showed up in that worship service. But the truth is, God is always fully present, folks. The issue is, did we show up? Did we show up with a humble heart and with an open hand to receive from Him? God's always fully present in our lives, every moment of every day. However, the degree to which we experience His presence the degree of intimacy we have with him depends on the state of our heart, how humble and how open we are, not only to hear from him, but also to do what he says. All that to say that because the Lord is everywhere present, we can trust him to be with us always. He doesn't go on vacation. There isn't a moment when he is not present. One of the most repeated phrases in the Bible is God saying to his people, I will be with you. In Genesis 26, Isaac is facing famine and persecution from his neighbors, and he's beginning to panic. And God says to him, do not be afraid, for I am with you. In Genesis 28, Jacob's running away from home. He's fearing for his life. And God says to him, I 
am with you and I will watch over you wherever it is you go. In Genesis 39, Joseph is a slave in Egypt. He ends up in prison. All indication is he spent the better part of his young adult years in slavery and in prison. Seemingly, he has no future. And yet, because Joseph has a stubborn faith in God, the Lord is with him and blesses what he does. And ultimately, Joseph is used by God to change the course of history. In Exodus 3, God calls Moses to be his instrument to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. And Moses protests and says, I don't have what it takes, God. I can't speak. I'm not a great leader. And God gives him courage, speaking into his life, saying, I will be with you. I will provide what you need and do what you can't do. Joshua 1, after Moses' death, God commissions Joshua to be the new leader of Israel. And Joshua, like Moses, uh, feels totally inadequate. And God says to him, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. In Matthew 28, just before his ascension, Jesus says to all his followers, go and make disciples of all nations. And as he said that, he must have been thinking about how intimidated many of us are with that commission to go and make disciples. And so he added this, and surely I am with you always. In Hebrews 13, 5, God says to all of his followers, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. All through the scriptures, the message is the same. Our everywhere present God says, I will be with you. And when God says, I will be with you, he's not just saying, you know, I'll go along for the ride and I'll provide some moral support along the way. No, he's saying, if you lean into me, if you trust me and you cry out to help, for help and for strength, I'll empower you to do what you can't do. I'll give you the strength to get through the valley. You know, church, regardless of what you may be facing in life, the Lord is at your side. In John 15, Jesus says, I call you friends. And therein lies the, the most amazing truth of Christianity. It's not just that God exists. I mean, other religions teach that as well. What makes the Christian faith so unique and distinctive and amazing is that our God can be known. In fact, he has a passionate affection for each of us, wants to be our friend, who walks with us through the good and the challenges of life and sticks closer than a brother. One of the key messages that David communicates here in Psalm 23 is not that bad things will never happen to us, but that, he, that, but that we will not have to face them alone. For you, Lord, are with me. The world in our circumstances 
may be a frightening thing, may be upsetting to us. But it becomes less so because we know that God is walking with us. God does not promise us happy endings in a world that's broken. Neither does he promise that we'll be safe from harm. What he promises is that we will never be alone. David knew this to be true. He declared it with conviction. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. David said, because the Lord is my shepherd, because he is with me, I have everything I need. You see, church, you have a shepherd who loves you. You have a shepherd who knows you and hears you, whose power is available to you, and whose presence is with you always. And that's why David says, we lack nothing. Why we have everything we need. Well, you may not have everything you want, but you have his promise to meet every need. You have his grace and forgiveness for every failure and regret. You have his direction for every crossroad in your life. You have his presence for every storm and a friend who will never leave you or forsake you. Now, church, having said that, I also want to acknowledge from my own personal experience of going through the darkest valley more than once that there will be times when all you've heard me say today, when all that you've read in the Bible about who our God is, when the words, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing, will seem empty and hollow. And the only thing which will keep you going is a stubborn faith that refuses to run from God. A stubborn faith that instead chooses to run to Him. To lean into Him and to be honest with Him about your fears and your need. And to believe He is both a sovereign and a good God who has our best interests at heart and can be completely trusted. Nothing else will work. Nothing else will bring relief or peace. It's flat out making a decision to go through the valley with God or without Him. It's either God or it's despair. There's nothing in between. Friend, whatever the problem Whatever the crisis, you need not face it alone. We may not know how it's all going to turn out. Even as King David, when he was out in the wilderness, didn't know how that was all going to turn out. But we do know the God who will work it out for our ultimate good and for his ultimate glory. Romans 8.28 promises us that. I've been there, and many of you have too. And I want to testify to you today that no matter what life throws at me, no matter the hardships or heartbreak, no matter how dark or deep the valley, my hope and trust is built on nothing less 
than Jesus Christ, my good shepherd. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Would you please stand for closing prayer? You know, here in Psalm 23, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. David embraced the Lord by faith as his shepherd. He put his full trust in him. And so must we. You see, you can't claim the Lord to be your shepherd unless you really belong to him by faith. Jesus himself warned of a day when people would talk about the wonderful things that they claimed and did in his name. And he'll respond, sorry, but I, I never knew you. In John 10, verse 27, Jesus, he gave a description of those who belong to him. He said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. For the Lord to be your shepherd, you need to acknowledge and repent of your selfishness and sin. You need to humble yourself and by faith embrace him as your Savior and Lord. He laid down his life on the cross. He rose again to make that possible. And then as Jesus says here in John 10, for him to be your shepherd, those of us who call him Savior, Lord, and King, we need to listen to his voice. We need to follow him daily. So I ask you, is Jesus your shepherd by faith? Do you really belong to him? If not, there are pastors, there are prayer partners, they're making their way up front right now. And I'm going to invite you in the moments before us as we just take time to reflect, to slip out of your seat and to come. Maybe have them pray for you or perhaps you just want to have a moment with God up here at the altar. You do that. Make your way up here and make things right with the Good Shepherd. For the rest of us, let's open our hands now and let's ask him as we have become accustomed to. Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me, Lord? Am I listening to you? Am I listening to your voice? Am I following you with all my heart? What's God saying to you? What's he saying to me? And what are we going to do about it?
Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to call you Lord and Master. What a joy it is to call you our Good Shepherd, Lord of all creation. What a joy it is to know that you're able to keep and do wonderful things through whatever it is we commit to you. Whatever people are facing right now, I pray today will be the day that they let go of their bitterness, their anger, their agendas toward you, toward others. And Lord, that they will crawl into your lap knowing not only that you love them, but you hear them, that you know all about their situation and their need and that you are with them. And Lord, I pray for those who aren't sure whether they really belong to you, whether in fact they see you as their good shepherd. I pray today they'd have the courage before they leave this place to commit their lives fully to you. May it be so, Lord, to the glory of God and for the sake of a world that needs the Jesus that we know and love. For I pray it in Jesus' name. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his precious peace. In the name of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has impacted you. We'd like to challenge you to take it one step further and get connected. For any questions or prayer, please visit our website at cschurch.ca. You can also like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter.